Welcome back to Takes by the Lake. Doug Maurice from Cleveland.com. Thanks to you guys for tuning in this week. Pete Smith has been on the podcast a couple times before. He is the editor of the Browns Maven site at Sports Illustrated. Uh, I just like Pete. He's one of these guys that I enjoy his Twitter interactions about the Browns. Um, he's a guy like Jake Burns, a bunch of other guys out there, uh, people I've had in this podcast too. I just, I just like how they analyze the Browns. Um, so he and I talk about the Browns. You guys kind of know what I think on this. Um, I've written some about three things in the past week. Um, one about I think people are are putting too much on Freddie. That I yes, obviously there are problems. I think the criticism is more than the problems are, uh, although the problems are substantial. Uh, I wrote for Monday that John Dorsey, uh, I think, has made some mistakes in the middle of this roster. A lot of high-priced, uh, big-time dudes here. Um, I think there are some mistakes in the middle of the roster that are, are haunting this team a little bit right now. Um, they're legitimately hurt by injuries, and Pete and I get into that. You know, the David Njoku injury seemed like early on. Ricky Seals-Jones and Demetrius Harris and the guys they were playing at tight end um, were filling in okay. Almost for a couple games made it feel like David Njoku might be expendable. Maybe he becomes an asset you can deal. Uh, but I feel like the, the past couple games they've missed him. They still love to go to the tight end because they get a lot of one-on-one matchups at tight end. And they just don't have the dudes there that, that deserve getting the ball in important spots as much as they get it. Um, and they're, they're just really, they're really down there. And I think it's hurting them. And they seem to rely on looking for matchups rather than focusing on like trying to get the ball to Odell Beckham no matter what. Uh, and I think that's something they have to deal with. And that was one of the things I, I dealt with in my column this week. Five, five issues with the Browns. And I tried to offer, you know, short term and long term, uh, solutions. They were all on the offensive side of the ball. I wrote more than 2,000 words. I didn't want to write 4,000 words and get into the defense. I don't have as good of a handle on the defense other than it needs to be better. They need to get like third down stops, and I feel like the defensive line needs to win them a game. My brilliant analysis is not not quite as brilliant on that side of the ball, though, and I'm kidding by brilliant. You guys know I'm kidding when I say that. So anyway, that's where I think we are with the Browns. Um, I don't think it's over. I'd like to be your guide toward uh, reasonable criticism of this team, toward thoughtful critique, um, but without panicking, without having to think you have to fire people every time there's a mistake, and without necessarily believing that this season is like completely over. They have six losses. Um, I still think nine and seven has a chance to win this division. Lamar looks good, right? The Ravens look really good. They just beat the the Patriots, but um, they still have some tough games ahead. Uh, and I think nine and seven at least maybe still gets you in the wild card race in the AFC, depending how things shake out. So. You know, they're still good. And the other thing about this is uh, you guys suffered through 1-31. and I'd like you to be able to try to enjoy this season and and enjoy hope for the future, even if it doesn't go exactly as planned, right? Because even if they go 7-9, and nine, um, you know, that means they go 5-3 and three in the second half. That means they put some things together against an easy schedule that gives you a little hope. We, we know where the issues are, right? We know what they got to fix. Um but I think a lot of them are fixable, and, and they might be fixable with Freddie Kitchens, and if not, then in the offseason, you can evaluate that. I, I just would hate, and Twitter is a, is a place where Twitter is always panicked, Twitter is, Twitter is always overreactive, and I don't want to make the mistake of assuming that Brown's Twitter reflects all Brown's fans. Um, I'd just like us to take the temperature down a little bit, and, and I feel like there were some overreactions uh, in the moment from some of the people who were writing from Denver in that moment, when that game ends and they don't win that game. I mean, they moved the ball. Um, they had opportunities, and they didn't take advantage of them, and there's not an excuse for a loss, but I don't know that that 
I just think there are some overreactions. And if I'm going to, I'm going to try to sound like an NPR guy in talking about the Cleveland Browns and what they can possibly, you get it, right? That's where I want us to be, um, at least for now. And if I feel like we need to get to the other place where the flame is hot, then we'll make it hot. But for now, I just enjoyed this discussion with Pete. I hope you guys did too. Uh, I hope you guys do too. I hope you enjoyed the discussion with Ken Carmen last week. That's an evergreen thing. If you haven't had a chance to listen to it, uh, I know you guys like Ken Carmen. I know he is a respected voice in Cleveland sports. Uh, I know he has earned and deserves that position. And so I think we went behind the curtain a little bit. I enjoyed that conversation. I've had some feedback from people who did listen to it, who said they enjoyed it. And so if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, go back to last week's Take by the Lake, uh, Takes by the Lake and find that. Um, try our texting, cleveland.com slash OSU for more information about a 14-day free trial to get my text about Ohio State. Cleveland.com slash Browns for more information about a 14-day free trial to get Mary Kay Cabot's texts about the Browns. You also get an insider newsletter every day as part of that. And make sure you are also listening to our revamped Orange and Brown Talk Browns podcast with our our whole Browns crew. They're doing a great job and, and providing a lot of interesting analysis about this team. So... Thanks, as always, for listening. Uh, Let's get to Pete Smith. When Pete's done, we're just going to get out of here. Again, uh, very grateful for those of you who are deciding to give uh, Takes by the Lake 45 minutes of your time. And uh, thanks to Pete for his time for this one. Happy to welcome back to Takes by the Lake our friend Pete Smith, the editor of the Maven Sports Illustrated, covering the Browns um, for that outlet. And Pete, um, you've been around the Browns, writing about the Browns, uh, for a long time, we were just starting to talk about this as as we got started here. They're interesting, right? I mean, I know like people are pulling their hair out, and I feel bad for fans, but this is kind of fascinating because I I'm not exactly sure how this second half of the season is going to go, but I'm very curious about it. Aren't you interested to see what happens? Yes, uh, for a lot of reasons because they've got a lot of little things that conceivably could get fixed over the course of the season. And they've got some big things that probably can't, but all of those things and how they choose to address them are fascinating, especially on the heels of, you know, you and I were obviously big on Sashi Brown and everything that went with that. And then you sort of go to the football guy who is sort of given so many assets. And now, you know, you actually have to make choices and do those, do things with those assets. And, you know, with choices he's made, it's sort of impacting this season and I think has had a little bit of a negative impact. You know, not all of it in his control. But now, you know, he went from savior to, you know, not pariah, but, you know, certainly not savior anymore over the course of like four months. So there's a lot of things that just need to sort of play out. And it's, it, 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 I'm just genuinely curious to see what they do. So obviously, I mean, you're, you're talking about John Dorsey, and I actually think most people still view him as a savior. I mean, I know you wrote an interesting piece this week about sort of breaking down all the different areas where they had some injuries. They had some draft picks that haven't popped yet. You know, I wrote for Monday about the fact that it feels like to me John Dorsey filled the middle of this roster with some guys who aren't playing very well, and he made some big-name acquisitions. But I feel like a lot of the sort of like second-tier starters aren't playing very well. And those are the guys where GMs have a lot of control because there's lots of guys with similar contracts that sort of move in and out of teams. Um, and you look at, you know, they bring in Demetrius Harris, they lose Darren Fells. And just like an example like that where – 
you know, that doesn't seem to have worked out very well. But uh, the thing I'm curious about, Pete, I'm very curious for your answer to this. As we look now at the construction of this team, and again, lots of people were very high on them going into this year, and I was definitely among them. Was there a fatal flaw to the building of this roster that we didn't see? Or, I mean, I did a podcast at the start of the season about whether they had a a top five roster in the NFL. Do they legitimately have like a really good playoff roster and just a lot of stuff has gone wrong? Or is there maybe something that we're seeing now that there were holes in this roster? Well, I think the, the, the biggest flaw and, and, and you and I are as guilty as anybody with this is we didn't anticipate the possibility that Baker Mayfield wouldn't be, you know, not even as good as last year, but not even, you know, close to as good as last year. And everything they've done, everything they've built was contingent on him being at least very, very good. Uh, You know, like so much of the focus has been on Greg Robinson and Chris Hubbard. No, those guys aren't playing any worse than they were last year. The only guy who's playing different in that equation is Baker Mayfield. Like Chris Hubbard is, you know, an undersized tackle who you know, may be the salt of the earth and tries really hard, but he's just not physically very strong and he gets beat up a lot. And, and that's sort of the deal. And Greg Robinson is a big guy who's sort of an underwhelming run blocker and he's an okay pass blocker. That's the same as it was when they didn't give up a hit, you know, the, the second half of last year. And it's been the exact same thing. The, the, the key difference has been Mayfield is not the top 10 quarterback. He was as a rookie. I, you know, it's, remarkable to sort of go back and look at just how good he was and he's having a pretty uh, you know certainly he's not playing well but you compare him to like the rest of the quarterback class that was taken there and like there are people who are sitting there going well Baker Mayfield's a bust or, or whatever which obviously is super premature but so much of that is based on the fact that Baker Mayfield is the only quarterback of that class that had super high expectations coming to the season as an example, you look at the Buffalo Bills, who are, are, are a pretty good football team, and that's who the Browns play this week. Josh Allen is not determining the fate of the Buffalo Bills. He's largely playing okay ball control football. He doesn't make a lot of turnovers, and they don't do a lot, but he's not the whole thing. And the flip side of that is is Lamar Jackson has taken you know a huge step forward, and the Ravens coaching staff, which you know John Harbaugh is one of the best in the league, in my opinion, has really done everything to sort of put him in a position to succeed. And, you know, Sam Darnold, it's the same deal where they're going, well, he, he might be a bust and he's barely played. I think he's very talented and he's in a you know, bad situation, but I think he will be a good quarterback. Uh, and and th- then you look at sort of the Browns and, and Freddie Kitchens and all that, and they haven't put Baker Mayfield in a great position and he hasn't played well. And some of that's on him. Some of that's on some of the things around him, but the thing that didn't change was was uh, was everybody else? I mean, and they added Odell Beckham. I think that was sort of their thought process for, you know, even if Baker Mayfield's not as great as he was last year. Well, here's Odell Beckham. This will sort of make it up for it. And they just didn't have a contingency for the idea that Baker Mayfield wasn't going to be very good, which, you know, I think showed itself in what I thought was a desperate pursuit by John Dorsey to sort of try to get the Washington Redskins to play ball with this whole Trent Williams thing. They, there wasn't really a plan for this. No, and I do fault Dorsey for that, that they have sort of 
waited for the answer at left tackle to to fall on their lap, whether it was Desmond Harrison as an undrafted free agent, whether it was trying Joel Batonio there and not working, whether hoping that you're the team that can fix Greg Robinson, the bust, and like now you're going to make him into a, a long-term answer at left tackle. They desperately made a couple moves at the end. You know, I mean, I get trying to bolster your depth with Teller and McCray, but again, when you're try, trying to like fill vital spots on the offensive line with cast-offs from rosters at the end of preseason – that's not what a playoff team should be doing. I, I, I've talked about the idea you can't prioritize everything. He prioritized a lot of other spots. He also did take away from the offensive line. I looked at some Baker Mayfield. I watched the Baker Mayfield game against Ohio State from 2017, his senior year. And this is my non-expert opinion on this. See what, See if there's anything to this, Pete. I thought in that game, for instance, he really liked stepping up in the pocket. And when he got a little pressure from the outside, and we've seen him this year bail on pockets, not as much lately, but early on, bailing from clean pockets, looking to escape to his right. I thought there were times where he was very comfortable when he felt pressure stepping forward where he felt the pocket was clean in front of him. And I just don't know if losing Kevin Zeitler, not having as much belief of your with your interior offensive line, has taken away his comfort zone to stay in the pocket and step up into throws when he feels pressure. I think there there feels like to me that maybe it doesn't show up in PFF grades. Maybe it's not every snap. I just think he looks like a guy who doesn't believe in his line. And I don't know if that's the play calling. I don't know if it's that Robinson and Hubbard aren't great. I don't know if it's losing Zeitler. I, I didn't want them to panic with Trent Williams and overpay, but I also thought I wonder what would happen. If you give Baker Mayfield a line he can believe in, do you think there's any possibility that he just for some reason doesn't believe in those guys and that has permeated his play? Or am I making an excuse for him with that? No, I think you're 100% right. And if you go back to his rookie year, especially when they got into that stretch where they were really good, it was so predictable that you know, that the, the offensive tackles would essentially, especially Greg Robinson, would love to send pass rushers basically past him. And Baker Mayfield got so good at stepping up because he trusted having Joel Petonio and, and, and J.C. Treader uh, and, and, and Zeitler in there that he knew they were going to do their job. And I think he still trusts Petonio and Treader. Uh, I think there's one more guy in there. He doesn't. And uh, I, I think you're 100% right with that. Um, I think... And, that, and that a lot of that is, is sort of what the Drew Brees model. Uh, and I think that's why, ultimately, I think Batonio would have been a very, very good tackle. And I still think he could be a very, very good tackle if they want to go that route. But the reason they didn't and the reason they threw out, you know, Desmond Harrison is because they prioritized, and I think smartly, the interior of the offensive line. Uh, Batonio and Treader and keeping his feet clean and letting him not feel that pressure there, not wanting to put his eyes down, being able to step up in those hugely important. And this is where I get torn on Dorsey because I, I completely understand why you make the move you make. First, Zeitler doesn't fit what James Campen wants to do offensive line-wise. Zeitler's a, a, an old plow horse. He's not pulling anywhere. He's a guy who's going to go straight forward. Very good pass protector. Uh, his contract is awkward. They didn't want to pay, you know, three and four offensive line, premium offensive line contracts. And I think that's what this has always been going, where they want to get down to two and three rookie deals, essentially. Now, obviously that Trent Williams thing would have thrown a massive monkey wrench in that thing. 
But that is where I think this became an accounting move as much as anything. And then, you know, you could, I, I can't imagine that you were ever going to get another opportunity to unload that contract and get a player of Olivier Vernon's caliber, who has been phenomenal. And, I, and, and if his knee injury is significant, that's a huge blow because you're going to go from phenomenal left end uh, to a guy named Chad who can't play dead. Um, so I, I think you're hundred percent right. I think it's a huge problem. I think some of the things that Baker Mayfield is dealing with aren't going to get fixed this season, but I do think there are a lot of things that can, and he's just got to do a better job with that. But yeah, I mean, and that's, if you go back to Oklahoma, that was their whole thing. They were going to keep him clean up the middle. Uh, and they obviously had, you know, one of the biggest lines in, in college football and they had guys like, you know, Zeus Jr. and those guys, but yeah, 100%. That and that's that's how you have to design your line, and and that's why I use Drew Brees an example. If you follow his career, they have they have a nice set of tackles now, but the 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 focus has always been on the interior. They made a huge investment uh, in center this year, but if you just track his career over and over, they've made big plays in free agency to get big guards that could keep him pass protected, and that thing because you have to be able to see and you have to be able to step up in the pocket. Because if you're short and there's guys coming in your face, it's going to obstruct your view. And we've seen more passes get batted down this year. I yeah. don't think that's, I don't think that's a coincidence. So again, I, I totally understand the position John Dorsey was put in, but the other things that didn't work with it are why it's such an ugly bruise on this team right now. And it's sort of like one of those things where if Olivier Vernon's still here next year and he's playing great, and they can solve this problem, whether it's Wyatt Teller, you know, Drew Forbes or somebody else in that guard spot, that it'll sort of, it can sort of rebound in the best possible way, but you're feeling the effects of it right now. And it sucks and it's not fun, but that's sort of where it's at. And and that's why I made such a big deal of the Austin Corbett whiff. And I know some people thought I made too big a deal of it because Dorsey has done other good things. But that is such a blown pick at 33, practically a first rounder. First of all, to take a guard there and then in a in a group where every other offensive line drafted in the first or second round. Uh, in 2018 is a productive, important part of an NFL offensive line right now. This is overstating it. I don't think they are a good right guard away from being a playoff team, but I'm, I think actually like it could be close to that, that if you just had Austin Corbett be good, play to the level that you would expect of a guy who was picked with the first pick in the second round, I think maybe what we just talked about would have been solved and Baker Mayfield would look a lot better. And instead of two and six, they'd at least be four and four. And so I just, it's like, I get it. Every GM makes a mistake. Every GM has a pick that doesn't work out, but God, at that spot in the draft, at the, at the pressure they put on that position by not just picking him, but then trading away the guy in front of him and handing him that job that he could not win just feels like it has absolutely murdered them. So here's the point absolutely. I want to ask you about. I, I, I want to ask well, you this. Let me, I would just jump in there on, on that real quick. It, it stood out to me with Austin Corbett because obviously I covered the draft and I, and, I, and I rated prospects for that. And Austin Corbett just was out of left field to me. And, and to your point, the two players that I, that I was rooting for if they were going to go that round were Connor Williams, who's a starting guard for the Dallas Cowboys now and is very you know very effective, and Will Hernandez, who's a starting guard for the New York Giants. Uh, 
and is very good. And yeah, you took Austin Corbett, and that stings quite a bit. But I really like Wyatt Teller, and I really like the value they got with Wyatt Teller. But I 100% agree with what you wrote, that they look like two guys who haven't played next to each other. I, I do actually believe Wyatt Teller could theoretically be the answer at right guard. I actually had him rated higher than Corbett that year, and he's got traits that make more sense for what Campen wants to do. So, I mean, I, I'd really like them to give him the rest of the season and see if he can't become that guy because, you know, James Campen working with him, I think it actually could really work. And, and, and I, I, I've been critical of Dorsey for not being willing to give up on some of these guys that are just awful. And, and I give him credit for getting uh, something for Corbett because I think most people are prepared to get absolutely nothing. But I do, I do give him credit for as much as he wasn't willing to sort of, you know, admit defeat when we wanted to, he did go and do things to try to bolster the position. I give him credit for being proactive on going and getting Wyatt Teller. I give him credit for going and getting Justin McCray, even though Justin McCray is literally just a body. Those are moves that made sense, especially with the situation you had with Drew Forbes and those types of things. The um, remind me, I want to bring up the fact that I think the Bills stink. I want to get to that later. But I but wait, th- this talk with Baker Mayfield, this is what I'm having trouble with, and I'm trying. Um, to try to guide people a little bit because there's a lot of knee-jerk stuff there in Cleveland that happens. There's a lot of um, every time something goes wrong, people want somebody fired. And again, I'm saying that as the guy who fired Hugh Jackson six times before he actually got fired. But if if we are acknowledging that Baker is not himself, Baker is not as good as he was last year. Baker looked good with Freddie Kitchens calling plays for him last year. Now Freddie Kitchens is calling plays for him this year, and he doesn't look as good. How much fault lies with Freddie Kitchens for the fact that Baker is not playing as well? With all the other things we talked about, I think Odell is not in sync yet. I think being hurt and not playing in a preseason game and missing practices in August set him back. I think Demetrius Harris, if he doesn't float through the end zone and gets his feet down there, if they get the call on the on the fourth down sneak, if Nick Chubb doesn't drop the ball twice against the Patriots, you know, there's a million things. But they're excuses, but they're also legitimate things that are sort of like bad luck. How much fault, though, at the core lies with Freddie for Baker not looking so good? And then, like, what what does that mean? Is is Freddie on the hook for this to the point that it makes you think maybe he shouldn't be the guy here anymore? Okay, so there's a few things that Freddie is absolutely responsible for. And one of those things that I think is really sticking out like a sore thumb is the lack of attention to detail by this team. And, and it goes beyond penalties. Uh, I'm, I'm talking about like Baker Mayfield, not giving good fakes on play action stuff and not, you know, and this goes to and Nick Chubb, not giving good fakes on play action and stuff. They're not doing a great job of selling some of these things. So like a lot of people are frustrated and, and understandably that the Browns aren't going down the field, but on some of these things, it's Baker's fault. And, and Chubb's fault and everybody else for not selling the fake to give a real run read for some of these DBs to think, oh, I've got to actually stop this because right now Chubb is the show. So if you're not making it look like Chubb is getting the ball and they don't care, that's your fault. And so some of those things aren't being sold as well as they could, and, and these teams are dropping a lot of DBs back in, in past situations, and they're trying to make the Browns beat them underneath, which – to their credit, has been very successful. And I think that's an area that has to improve. But 
those details, those little things, you know, finishing plays, fakes, and all those things are a big problem. Uh, play calling, I, I lump. I, I, I think uh, Todd Munkin has been getting a pass he shouldn't. And obviously, Freddie Kitchens is ultimately making the final call, but there's no question that Todd Munkin is involved in this stuff. Uh, but some of the play calling is just predictable in terms of situations and when they do things and, and how, you know, obviously, you know, you, it, this was brought up in the press conference and you never really got a satisfying answer on the idea that Nick Job is there on first and second down, then John Trill Hilliard comes in there on third and fourth down. Well, I don't hate the idea of Dr. Hilliard getting the ball, but I hate the fact that it seems like he's going to get the ball every third down. And it just screams like Metcalf up the middle uh, on the play that he got stuffed. And you're just sitting there going, you know, you could put Dr. Hilliard in there on second down or first down on some of these. So you can get Chubb, you know, the breaking knees and get him in there. Uh, And those things don't help. And then when they don't do something predictable, it's so unorthodox and insane to get the other team off balance that it, it, it has no hope of working. Like there was an entire drive in that game where you're sitting going, what is this trying to accomplish? Like, God bless Freddie for trying to get some of these pieces, parts involved in the game, but they drew up a, basically a single receiver release for Steven Carlson, who was signed off the practice squad this week. And he might be a nice player, but we can't get the ball consistently to looks to Odell Beckham, but we can drop a play to Steven Carlson and, and it, it could have worked if it was a better ball and he made a play on it. But those things are insane or throwing like a smoke screen to Demetrius Harris, who, if not for like the greatest stiff arm and then physically dragging people for nine yards, just, I, I don't know what the thought process was there. And it, so it goes from these like super, you know, predictable ordinary plays to like the complete opposite where it's so insane that like it catches the defense off guard, but it's not going to work. There's not a real identity. And I think that's a big failure on his part. Last year, you sort of had a feel for what the Browns were going to do week in and week out. And they do things to tweak it, obviously, you know, bringing in three backs or doing some of the things they did. But so, you know, there were things that you could sort of count on. You could count on, especially later in the year, taking shot to Brashard Perryman, for example, or getting you know, certain players involved in certain ways and, and creating advantages where you could see where, man, the wheels are really turning. And obviously some of these things are impacted by, like, injuries. So Brashard Higgins getting hurt and David Njoku getting hurt is a huge stumbling block for this team. And Antonio getting uh, Antonio Callaway getting suspended. These were three of the guys that, like, Baker Mayfield had – maybe the most reps within the off season and he loses all three of them that that sort of stilts your tr- progress here. Now, the other part of this is like the chemistry thing with Odell Beckham is really difficult to swallow at this point, given the fact that like Emmanuel Sanders has been a San Francisco 49er for about 20 minutes. And he looks like he's got more chemistry with Jimmy Garoppolo than, than Baker Mayfield does with Odell Beckham or Mohamed Sanu with Tom Brady. They look like they've, been playing together longer than than Beckham has and that's really difficult to 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 process as you're watching this thing and and that stuff falls on I think both the players but ultimately Freddie Kitchens and and you know he gets so far as you want to call it credit he never blames anybody else he's always very upfront about saying you know I've got to do a better job and and all those things but ultimately yeah, at some point, when you say blame me, blame me, blame me, everybody's going to be like, okay, get out. 
And, I, you know, I, I'm torn on the Freddie Kitchens thing. I really want him to be successful. And he, the, the thought process I have on this is on one hand, you know, the Browns have to find a head coach that can get them to a Super Bowl. I mean, that's the window you're in. You are trying to get to the Super Bowl. And if you can't, if you don't believe by the end of the season that Freddie Kitchens is capable of getting you there, it's really hard to say, let's go ahead and do this another year. And that was you know, obviously the first year with Hugh Jackson. It, it just, you knew it was dead and, and it, you didn't want to stick with it. The flip side of that is, and, and what I was thinking about, especially on Sunday before the Browns game, is how many bad head coaches are there in the NFL right now? Even driving home today, I was thinking, like, how many good head coaches are there? And I come up with about 10. There are 32 jobs in the NFL, and I, can, I feel good about 10 head coaches. There are so many bad. I, like, I think it might be, you know, one of the worst eras as far as head coaches in the NFL, where you are constantly sitting there going, what are these guys doing? And there's so few good head coaches that, you know, generally make their teams better. And that's, that's the other part where, you know, as much as you, you don't want to fire guys and, and you want to, you have to find the right guy. But part of this is the fact that these guys are, are in and out so quickly that there's no continuity to sort of develop anybody. And I do think part of what I think is that I don't know. I don't think you have to have your head coach be Bill Belichick to win a Super Bowl. Like you can win a Super Bowl, I think, with like good players and like a decent head coach. You know, I don't think every single guy, you know, you don't have to have Sean McVay, who's some boy genius and gets the Rams to the Super Bowl. I I just think that pretty good might be good enough. And I do think continuity matters. And I do think the idea of if you think they're getting better, and I do think in some ways they are getting better. They're not kicking people in the head. They're not getting the 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 penalties of aggression that they got in the Tennessee game. They didn't get the false start penalties. Baker's not throwing the picks that he was throwing before. Um, they have to be better in the red zone. But I will say part of this, Pete, and I don't disagree with what you said, but – you know, they're in the middle of the pack in yards. They're in the middle of the pack of your offensive yards per game, offensive yards per play. You know, like Freddie said, they had 10 drives, seven of them. You know, they they should have scored on. They kicked four field goals, had a touchdown, and had two fourth downs, stopped in scoring range. Like, they aren't just being stymied every time. And I will say, and, and then I, I want to get to this point about the Bills, but part of me, Pete, I feel like a Homer excuse maker like naive sucker sometimes when I think about this stuff. But, you know, like Jermaine Whitehead, Adarius Taylor, and Greedy Williams miss a tackle, and the Broncos get basically a free touchdown on a 75-yarder. And Miles Garrett bats that ball in the air, and it's floating there for an interception, and nobody catches it. Now, of course, Denzel held on the play, and it wouldn't have been a pick anyway. But every time the ball gets batted in the air the other way, it seems like it gets picked off against the Browns. Um, you know, the fourth down sneak, I still think he made it. I still think he did make it. And if he had snuck it to the other side of the field where they had a camera down the line at a better angle, I think maybe that gets overturned on the review. Like, I know things happen to teams all the time. The the, the blindside block call on Landry, that was a huge game-changing play potentially. You know, like, I just feel like they have made mistakes and every mistake they made has cost them. But when we're talking about should somebody be fired? Is this a lost season? Are things hopeless? I feel like I have to factor those things in then because it's not just an excuse about a loss. It's trying to take in the whole picture 
of whether you need to make a major change or not. And man, yes, they've made mistakes. Yes, they need to be better. But man, I just feel like they haven't caught a break either. And also the schedule gets a lot easier. So tell me I'm an excuse maker if you think I'm an excuse maker. Well, I think it's both. I mean, you're not wrong in that those things have happened and those things are factoring in. Uh, I mean, again, I've never seen an offensive lineman kick a ball out of running back's hands. I've never seen that, ever. And that happened, and that was a seven-point play for the other team. And, and, and the 49ers, for example, you know, they dropped the right play. Antonio Callaway is open. Baker doesn't make a great throw, but it's a good enough throw. The ball manages to get tipped in the air, and it's a 14-point swing. And, and the Browns go from having a real response against this 49ers team who's undefeated and looks great to, you know, basically being taken out of the game. So keeping that in mind, I, I just want to see them look better. Uh, like, and, and, and I, I, I've made the, the argument you're making. They, they do move the ball. Uh, and, and against the Patriots, they had the most rushing yards any team has had other than up to the Ravens now. They had uh, 300-something total yards, which is way above the average the Patriots have been giving up. Um, and they did a lot of things really well. My issue with Freddie, and, and, and this is what really hammered home this point this week, and again, this isn't you need to fire him, it's just what happened this week, is the red zone issues have been a big problem. And I think a lot of that is they missed David Dejoku badly. And I, it, it cannot be overstated how much. Because what he was able to do, first, he's not Demetrius Harris. Um, and, and Demetrius Harris has played reasonably well the past two games, despite the fact he has some of the worst hands ever. Now he's become a reliable receiver, even in the rain, which is mind-boggling. Uh, but David Njoku goes from, like, their fade guy to a big body in the middle to sort of opening up all these things in the red zone to now not having that and so much feels discombobulated. And some of the time there were situations that Baker Mayfield didn't read real well and some of those things. But that's where it's very easy to go. you got to get it done in the red zone. And they move the ball really well between the 20s, and they've got to finish and those are the things where I think you have to see, you know, whether it's Buffalo or these games against the Steelers. Like, you can't lose those games against the Steelers and the Bengals and the state they are. Um, and, and you have a real big-time win against the Baltimore Ravens, which, you know, the Browns have to determine if that was a fluke or if that's something they can build on. And thus far, it certainly has not been – something they can build on, but they've got to be more consistent week in and week out. At some point, I suppose the luck thing needs to, to change a little bit, but I, I, I wish I felt better about what's going on when they, when they aren't unlucky, when they are, are just routine plays. And, and again, he's got games. I'm certainly not suggesting by any stretch that you fire him now. That's insane. Uh, but, you know, with the remaining eight games, I just want to see, more a cohesive offense where we're not sitting there scratching your head going like, you know, you're asking the question, the right question, you know, and I, I like the quarterback sneak. I, I, don't, I wouldn't go to Chris Hubbard's side, but I like the idea of quarterback sneak and, and why isn't Nick Chubb on the field and these things? Like I, I don't want to have to keep reliving these questions. You know, I didn't want to have to be reliving these type of questions in week nine, but are we going to be doing this in week 13? And those are the impro- improvements that have to be made if you're going to sort of try to sell me on the idea that Freddie Kitchens is getting through this, that he's getting better. Um, and those, those are the, the things that have to change. 
I, I'm very curious to see it. And th- we focused a lot on the offense. I wrote a piece uh, that went up on, on Tuesday that was, you know, five five major issues, and they were all offensive um, just because it feels like we focus there. And I know the defense has its own issues, and I'm sort of waiting for this defensive line to, like, just win them a game. Um, and they haven't, and it's not that they haven't played well. And certainly um, Vernon has looked good the last couple of weeks, and Miles Garrett is Miles Garrett, and, and I'm certainly not criticizing him. But, you know, it just feels like at key moments they still have given up drives that they can't give up. Um, but it's I, I just am waiting, like, is Kareem Hunt – going to be your third down back now. I'm very curious how they're going to use Hunt. I feel like the Baker-Odell connection has to get better. It can't get worse. And if some component of that is they're still feeling each other out, then I have some maybe reasonable hope that it will look better. If Njoku gets back, he has his cast off. If it, if he can get back in some way. Again, it's, it's a lot of ifs and buts and candy and nuts, but I feel like there's something a little bit to hold on to there. And and this is the other thing. And I mentioned this to somebody in Berea the other day. Again, tell me I'm nuts, Pete, but the bills are six and two and their wins are over the jets, the giants, the Bengals, the Titans, the dolphins and the Redskins. Now the Browns played two of those teams, the jets and the Titans, they lost to the Titans. The bills only beat the Titans 14, seven, um, but their losses are to the Patriots and the Eagles. Like if, the Browns had the Bills schedule. I'm certain they wouldn't be two and six. I don't know that I don't wouldn't say they'd be six and two. I think they might be five and three. And I it's just another part of this for a team that had all these expectations and new guys and a first year head coach. Man, they played a lot of good teams at the beginning and now they're in a hole when they get to this easy part of the schedule. I know Sean McDermott's a good coach. I know Buffalo has a good defense. I think Josh Allen stinks, and I'm not so sure the Bills don't stink, but they're six and two. So I like to hang your hat on the second half of the schedule. I know everybody's saying it, but the Bills just played the Browns' second half of the schedule in the first half of the schedule, and they went six and two. And to me, if the Browns come out and beat the Bills on Sunday, that's step one in if the Bills can do it, the Browns can do it. How much do you think do you, can they go six and two with this schedule in the second half? And, and and am I overstating it by saying I think the Bills stink? Uh, I think you're 100 percent right about Josh Allen. Uh, I mean, I've I've said he's Ronnie Brown. I mean, just the he, he can't throw. That seems kind of important. Um, That's a great. He, he's a Wildcat quarterback. He's an Auburn running back playing quarterback. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're defensively they're great. I mean, they are very good. Sean McDermott gets a ton of credit. I think, I think the reason you you can believe he's a very good coach is because the Bills consistently overachieve relative to expectations. I mean, I, 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 even though they, their schedule is what it is, and I don't disagree with you, I think they are still ahead of where most people would have expected them to be. And they're just a team that plays defense. They don't turn over the ball much. Uh, and they keep it close enough where they can put themselves in a position to win. Um, I, I, I think the Browns can absolutely win this game. I think the Browns can win every game, and that's that's what makes this so frustrating, is they can beat every team. They have not like they've not been just demolished. And I know people will say, "Well, look at the Titans game; they were in it until the the, the, the fourth quarter." The, the Patriots they hand them seventeen points in insane fashion, but they're in that game, and even then they they were able to sort of fight their way back into it. So I think so much of this is the Browns just need a win. 
And if they can get a win, I think they'll unclench a little bit and sort of be able to get into this. And I, and I think some of this is there's particularly with Baker and Odell. I think they're both pressing a lot. I always have this feeling that Odell Beckham wants to take the most basic play and score every time. Not only does he want to score, it's worth about 25 points and it will win the game and the next three games. And it doesn't just like happen. He doesn't just catch a hitch. He doesn't just catch, you know, a curl or whatever. It's always trying to go the next step. And I think that's caused some of the drops he's had. I think he's just trying to do so much. I, I, I think he has all the best of intentions. I, I just think it, it's over try. And I think Jarvis Landry's run into this a little bit too, where they, they feel the pressure of, you know, the combined $3 billion they're being paid. And they're trying to win all these games on one play. And I think Baker Mayfield was doing this a lot early in the year. He's trying to win games on one throw and they don't just get through this, but I absolutely think they can beat the bills. I absolutely think they can take control of the, off, uh, the line of scrimmage and really stifle that running game. And, and they can turn it into sort of a ball control setup, which is what they wanted to do against the Patriots and were successful when they weren't turning the ball over. And that's, you know, obviously this, this past game was the first one they didn't turn the ball over and obviously fell short and that came down to the red zone. But if they don't turn the ball over and they play good defense, they're going to be in every game. And, you know, part of the problem I, I, with the Broncos is you had, you know, about three people who are not professional football players playing defensive reps for a significant amount of the game. And Darius Teller is not a, a professional football player as far as a, a linebacker. He's a special teams guy. Jermaine Whitehead, not a professional football, clearly. I mean, his you know behavior of nothing else, but he just, it was so bad. So you have like this balance of these genuine superstars. Miles Garrett is phenomenal. I can't take my eyes off him when I, when I, when I watch the game. He's that good. But you're balancing that and guys like Denzel Ward and, and Olivier Vernon and Joe Schobert who are all great. And then you've got Jermaine Whitehead, Darius Taylor, Mac Wilson. I, he's a rookie. He makes some plays, but he also gets victimized because he's the, his, the, the game is just so fast for him right now. And that's part of the problem is, is when the superstars aren't dominating, they find these holes and they're able to exploit it. And the Noah Fant touchdown was that in a nutshell. They found every weakness on one play, and they all got exploited, and it was an easy touchdown. The Browns haven't had those. And, again, I, I, I agree. I think they're, they're, they're there. They just need to sort of let them happen. I don't think they let the game come to them as, as much. They press too much, and they just need to sort of let the game come to them. And, and it is hard. I mean, every team has injuries, but, and I, I think you noted this in your piece, you know, just the Kirksey injury hurts them. You know, it seems like Kirksey hasn't been spectacular the last couple of years, but they end up putting a rookie in for him. And, and Mac Wilson is kind of boomer bust, I think. Um, you know, Sheldrick Redwine is a fourth round pick who, you know, they had two safeties hurt last week in Demarius Randall and Eric Murray, and he's nowhere to be seen on the field. They're playing Jermaine, Jermaine Whitehead. They're playing, you know, Burris as the next guy up as a guy who was on the street uh, a couple months ago. That they just, I, I think they still need to build up some of that depth to withstand some of those injuries um, a little bit more. And again, like you said, if Vernon's out, um, Chad Thomas is a third round pick who has done has shown nothing so far. Again, that like if these are the guys Dorsey's picking these second and third and fourth and fifth round guys that you're hoping 
A, can start, can play well enough that they can fill in when some of these guys price themselves out of Cleveland when they have as many veteran high price guys that they have, but also can provide depth when they're young. And and I think there's some question marks about um, whether they have the right guys to do some of those things. Um, so I, I, I'll, I'll bring it back on this final point, Pete. We'll go back to where we started with this discussion um, with Baker Mayfield. What would you tell him? What would you do if you were his coach or his coordinator or his position coach? What would you like to see from him? What will tell us or what would you do to fix Baker Mayfield to get him back to looking like he looked in the second half of last year? And can that happen in the second half of this season? Or do you feel like that's going to have to be something that's going to have to be sort of a rework in the offseason where they redesign this offense and figure out how they can accentuate his skills? Or, or can they get this right now? So the things I would focus on with Baker Mayfield are getting back to better mechanics. I think that's part of the problem. Uh, he, he's not throwing off of great platforms. He's not transitioning his weight well. Some of these passes are up. You know, He's had a lot of passes that are high. Um, I think that's part of that. And I would tell him to focus on the things he can control. He can't control what defenses are doing, but he can control finishing plays, carrying out mistakes, making sure that he's doing everything he can to sort of help himself. And if he does those two things, I think things will get a lot better. Uh, the, the, there are things that I'm worried about in terms of, you know, escaping clean pockets. That's gotten a little bit better. Uh, and, and doing some of the other things where he's holding onto the ball too long and trying to keep plays alive that aren't there, I think that's improved. It, what did not happen against the Broncos, which is positive, uh, the one sack was on him, but it wasn't a big deal. Uh, but if he just focuses on mechanics and just controlling those things he can control, making sure that he and the rest of those guys carry out fakes and those things to make sure that, you know, again, this comes back to trying to play too fast, is when you're not fully executing those play-action fakes, you're not getting looks downfield, then it suddenly looks like you don't know what you're looking at, there's nothing open, and you're forced to try to scramble around and find stuff. And I think that's part of the problem. These things weren't happening last year, and I think that's the big thing to improve for him, and that's the stuff I'd like to see for him. I don't know if he's hurt. Um, from some of the nagging things he's had, but it wouldn't surprise me if he's dealing with some stuff. But those things would make a big difference. And he may not, you know, get back to where we need him to be ultimately this season, but he can certainly improve. I think he has been improving, uh, but he did leave some plays on the field against the Broncos. So just focusing on what he can control and not worrying about everything else. Pete, where can people find you and find your work again? Uh, on Twitter, you can find me at underscore Pete Smith underscore, and then uh, you can find me uh, at uh, Browns Maven. That uh, is si.com slash NFL slash Browns. Uh, always trying to put up as much as we can over there. Pete, we love having you on in the past. Appreciate your time tonight. Love your insight. Love your way uh, of analyzing this team. Um, you know, I appreciate you, and thanks so much for taking time. Thanks to you guys for listening. We'll just get out of here with this one. That's Takes by the Lake, and we will talk to you next time.